Look, if you read the, the ancient Greeks, I mean, they're all... Aristotle, all of them, they all talk about the Stoics that exercise good food, all all that sort of thing. That human tendency to not do what's good for us is a very powerful one. But I think we're at an interesting point now where we're getting a better sense of what the mechanisms are, like, for example, the reward system. That understanding, I think, is a real game changer because, you know, once you can hack into that operating system, then you have the possibility of changing it. I'm Dr. Sandro DeMeo, and this is In Good Health. And that's my very good friend, Magda. First of all, you just got to pretend like you're Dracula. Okay. We're talking, so it's... I want sh- to suck your, your blood. blood. Yes. So, so it's, yeah, sh- like sh- sugar. Sugar, 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 not sugar. Not sugar, but it's, no, well, it's no, not, we, yeah. well, we can say it, but we don't need it. Magda Shabansky, that is. Magda's recently been investigating what good health looks like in Australia and the barriers that come with it, much like we've been learning about in this season of In Good Health. While making a new TV show, Magda's big national health check for the ABC, she looked into everything from food labelling to the link between mental and physical health. And after talking to the experts this season, I'm curious to know from Magda what she's discovered and how we as a nation can implement those learnings in our own lives. It's been a huge couple of months. and yeah, uh, several months, actually. Several the show months. went a lot longer than we thought it was going to go. It did. Yeah. And it's been uh, an amazing journey watching from alongside as your part-time coach. But um, what's it been like the last couple of months and doing this doing well, this health journey? It, it's, it turned out <laughs> I thought it was going to be a sort of a pretty easy gig in yeah. the sense of like it was – you know, sold to me as like, you know, it won't be too strenuous or anything like that. It ended up being massive. It went forever. But the show just changed so much. And I was really into the idea. As soon as Laurie Critchley, who's the producer, who's done a fantastic job, as soon as she pitched it to me, I, I loved the whole idea of it. Um, because I'd, I've also been involved with like Phoenix Australia and I'm, you know, very interested in all that thing of, of sort of the, certainly the, the state of the nation's mental health. So, you know, at the very early stages I was discussing with her, you know, how things would go. And the idea was that it wasn't going to be that much about me. But then I think um, in the end, with the health checks, (laughs) it it ended up sort of just taking the show in a a slightly different direction from what I ever thought it was going to be. What did you think it was going to be? Well, I thought it was going to be not so revealing of my personal medical status, you know, and that was a bit confronting because it was like, oh, do I really want the world and all the insurance companies and, if, you know, <laughs> every time I eat a, a burger, someone kind of going, do you think you should be having, you know, all of that. You know, it was a really, it would, to me it was a, a number of things. It was just very different from, but I think that's the nature of factual sort of documentary stuff mm. like life takes you in. You know, we had that moment with me having the chest pain. It was like... <laughs> Because a lot, a lot of people think that was scripted. A lot of people God, have said to me, really? oh, was that, was that staged? And oh, I, I'm, as if. I'm like, no, I, t- yeah. I literally turned up yeah. to record one day yeah. and you had chest pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because as I said, you know, the, the symptoms for women are so vague. And after Dr. Ralph said to me, you know, given my bloods and all that sort of stuff, he said, if you have chest pain again, go straight to emergency. So, you know, but it's really hard to know. Is it like, is this a heart attack or is it just having big boobs? You know, you can't, you don't know. I, I don't know. After all these years of having them, I still don't know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so it, it does sort of highlight that fact that for women, 
especially the symptoms are really quite vague. Um, but no, that God, that wasn't scripted at all. But it was, I have to say, um, well, there was two things. Like in the end, I was, of course, hugely relieved. But, mm. you know, you don't know that's going to be the result. I could have ended up going there and having my arteries chock a block full of, you know, Cadbury, you know, was what I would have expected actually. But, um, but the irony being my heart turned out to be fine, but my brother, who's a few years older than me, but he ended up having a massive heart attack, which was he used to smoke though, he used to smoke a lot. Mm. So, but, you know, I think it's really interesting just within the one family how you don't know which way the DNA dice are going to roll and fall, you know. It's funny how you never know how these things are going to go, whatever you do. But um, I suppose for me it's a couple of things like being older, you just don't care so much. Uh, you're not so self-protective, I think, and and you kind of feel like there is that thing, um, I think it's particularly older women, like you just feel like there's no time to F around anymore, you know, and you do feel a sense of um, responsibility for other people or something, and 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 um, yeah, you just you just give less of a fat rats, in, which is good because you. But it's not to say that it wasn't confronting or sort mm. of you know didn't. It made me nervous at times, but it also felt like an incredible opportunity for people sort of through me. You know, I knew that as I was learning, other people would be learning. Mm. And I knew that if I I did have that sense, I thought if I don't go there, I'm kind of depriving people of an opportunity to really, you, you know, like I was very anxious about what the results of my heart were going to be, but mm. I was like, well, whatever it is, it is, you know. But not many people are getting that result on national TV. No. Well, I've sort of, I made a decision, I think, when I came out, because I sort of was so private for so long for a lot of reasons, not least of all because I'm much more shy than people would think I am, but... After a while, there's there's a certain freedom in just actually being really open because, like, what are they going to do? It's all out there, <laughs> you know. So, uh, um, and and you know, having played lots of characters, it's actually really nice just to be my real self. What's changed for you through this experience of the show and learning about the hidden barriers to good health? Well, it really changed my attitude a lot. To it's it's really shifted the narrative that's going on in my head, which was starting to kind of happen anyway with a therapist I was working with about uh, diet culture. But but this, in a broader sense, was um, about the structural things, like mm. the way that the system affects our health. Um, and we're always encouraged to sort of feel that we're to blame. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm prepared to shoulder the, the responsibility, but it's not, the bottom line is that that model isn't working because we're all getting fatter and more unhealthy. So some in that, you know, it's my mother used to nag me all the time. Mm. And I would say to her, look, you've been nagging me for 40 years, hasn't worked, so why don't you stop? <laughs> it's that same sort of an idea of that if it's not working, then why do you keep doing it? I, yeah. th I think there is a certainly a thing with, um, with overweight people that there are certain sectors of the community that just get off on being mean and they think we're never going to fight back mm. and they also um, feel a sense of moral superiority. Yeah. So so it was – I'd sort of started a little bit down that journey but then to look at the broader stuff, to discover things like 
you know, how infrastructure and parking and public transport and all those things, accessibility, you know, proximity to supermarkets. I'd never thought about urban planning mm. as a health factor at all. So that was really eye-opening. What surprised you the most through the filming, do you think? I think that was one of the ones that was the most surprising in a sense that you kind of know a bit the sense of, um, you know, because God knows I've been on that many diets, so I do know how obscure and minute the labels are on the on the mm. back of um, food packets. Um, I do have a sense of the way that the food industry op- operates to a certain extent. Not not it's Certainly this program expanded my understanding of that and deepened it as well. So this is something we talked about earlier in the season of In Good Health. Ashika and her son Isaac went grocery shopping together and spent a lot of time trying to decipher the package labelling on their food. So when I'm looking at the nutritional information, I do try and see what the uh, energy uh, amounts are by um, per serving as well as um, per 100 grams. So this particular one has um, out of a serving size of 45 grams, nearly seven grams of fat content. The saturated fat content is less than one gram. So I think that's a good thing. I'm not entirely sure (laughs) the difference between saturated and unsaturated, but I, I think it might be a good thing. Beyond the confusion in our supermarket aisles, Magda also learnt just how much our broader environment impacts the way we eat. That was a real surprise to me, mm. that the way that planning, um, and that, that means that really makes it very much the responsibility of government because people are always going individual responsibility. Yeah. But if the fact is that, you know, if you're living in a suburb where you're 14 and a half kilometres away from the nearest supermarket, mm. you know, and that the, the first things that go in when a new suburb springs up are the fast food joints. Um, and I don't think we're ever saying there shouldn't be fast food joints, but we have, you know, priorities, you know. Mm. Um, so that... That means that whole argument that people make that it's about the individual is a nonsense because the individual can't put in... Can't build a supermarket. Can't build a supermarket, can't, you know, put in transport, can't, you know, um, make sure that there's safe parks where you can go and exercise, you know. So those things are very much um, under the remit of government. So that was really obvious. But there are other things as well, like what really made me actually feel really optimistic was all the terrific community initiatives. That that was brilliant because I didn't know about a lot of that stuff. This is something we also talked about in our Social Connection episode. We visited the Archipelago Community Choir in Preston and heard just how important the sense of community is to its members. I joined the choir group around three weeks ago. There's a couple of things I get out of the choir group. I get social interaction every week on a weekly basis over here at Sacred Heart and I also gets to learn a new skill. At the choir group, it's been quite welcoming these past few weeks and it's been much easier to make social interactions with people as everyone's welcoming, kind and often forgiving of amateurs like myself. And what about chronic illness? Did the stats surprise you? I didn't realise the full extent of um, Mm. chronic illness, although I, you know, have them. And, I mean, look, as you get older... There's not many of us don't have some form of a chronic illness, but 
some of them are ones I've been sort of struggling with for a longer period of time, but realising how many Australians and how badly we rank in terms mm. of chronic illness, um, sugar consumption, all that kind of stuff, um, the increasing obesity, all those things, that was really interesting, but that could get you depressed. Mm. And what I loved the show did was actually took me to places that I didn't know about of communities doing brilliant things to fight back. Yeah, because there is so much shame. We've talked about this a, a number of mm. times. Like there's so much shame and stigma around this issue of weight and health. And, and mental health or and anything. Mental health. Yeah, yeah, and, I, it, and it just shuts the conversation down completely. Totally. Yeah, it really does because you just feel as though you don't have a leg to stand on, as mm. it were. You feel as though it's all your own fault or whatever. And I think that um, certainly for mental health issues, um, you know, and there's a, a real tendency, I think, for uh, we know that men don't talk a lot about this sort of stuff in the eye. That's certainly not helping that kind of mindset. Women are probably a bit more inclined just culturally um, to to talk about um, things in a maybe oh, certain groups of women, I suppose, less judgmental, some more judgmental. But to me it's just not rational thinking, mm. you know, that you that you – that all of these sort of moral judgments about your character and and the worst thing to me is that I've internalised those and you do even now as I'm sort of trying to change my eating habits. It's those voices of judgment come in, you mm. know, all the time. And certainly I know when it comes to discussing things like having anxiety or mine was more of a, like a reactive depression, but anxiety is absolutely... I mean, God, the DNA in on both sides of my family is so tattered from war trauma, like on the, yeah. the Scottish, Irish and the Polish side. Like, you know, it's hardly surprising. We're all nervous wrecks. But um, just I think the whole thing of destigmatizing all mm. of that, and it sounds like such a um, – we sort of say that phrase, don't we, and yeah, we kind of forget it, what it actually means, yeah, which is means. just that, you know um, – what what you don't want people thinking is that because you're prone to anxiety or any of those things that you can't think mm. or be part of the conversation yeah. or that you're stupid or that you're irrational, yeah. you know. Or you um, don't have a right to have a, an opinion or yeah. that you don't have a right to say, hang on a second, I want something better for my health or yeah. I want something better for our health. Yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, that shame shuts down the, the people's f- feeling that they can say something or want something more. Well, shame is a way of it's 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 a way of ostracizing people. So I suppose I you know they they're never the sort of subgroups I would have chosen to have been in the fat gay one. Mm. Um, I was like, please Jesus, give me another cross to bear. But no, they're the ones I got. Um, and two of the most vilified groups in society. And um, you know, I have a very keen sense of the way that shame affects you mm. and and becomes your internal monologue and I mean um, Brene Brown I think has done brilliant work about as she said going in with her measuring stick and looking at shame Mm. Um, similarly um, Martha Nussbaum you know like um, that she talks about uh, the way disgust the, the, the feeling of disgust should have no part to play in legislation. You know? mm. It's like be disgusted as you like, but you're not allowed to base the laws on that, on that just because you don't like it. So um, I think the more we become aware of that, um, the greater our ability to properly understand what's going on. The difference between what we know and what we do, mm. it's far more complex than just like yeah. poor choices or stupidity well, or whatever at- it is that like people will – 
you know, point the finger at the individual or at each other. Look, if you read the the ancient Greeks, you know, um, I mean, they're all, you know, Aristotle, all of them, they all talk about, you know, the Stoics that, you know, exercise good food, all that, all yeah. that sort of thing. You know, that, that human tendency to not do what's good for us is a very powerful one. But I think we're at an interesting point now where we're getting a better sense of what the mechanisms are, like, for example, the reward system. That mm. understanding, I think, is a real game changer because, you know, once you can hack into that operating system, then you have the possibility of changing it. Yeah. But for me, it was a really fortunate to have you on board because you were so compassionate and non-judgmental. Mm. So I felt safe you know, to go into that stuff um, because I certainly have had um, doctors in the past and I, I can guarantee you there's not a fat person out there that hasn't had a snooty, contemptuous doctor say, well, just, you know, eat less and move more. Mm. And even if that was actually the answer, which I think we know it probably isn't, um, even if that was the answer, just the way that it's said to mm. you, you know, like I'm not a stupid person nor am I a lazy person. <laughs> but, you know, this thing, I mean, I gave up smoking like that. You know, but this thing is just, oh, my God, it's a beast, you know. Now, I might not be as well read in ancient Greek philosophy as Magda, but what she says about motivation does remind me of my discussion with Dr. Erica Randall on the previous episode of In Good Health. We talked about how important movement and exercise are for our health, of course. But what really struck me was all the ideas Erica had for making movement something you really want to do, not just something your doctor says you should do. Different people are motivated by different mm. things and they feel differently comfortable in different situations. So for some students, it was, well, I just want to be active by myself. So the gym is perfect for them, but I actually want to do it with my friend because that social connection is also important. But I think it is, it is really important, though, because one conversation we had in, uh, in, in the show and mm. it was a really was a, a conversation I'll always remember is mm. how important it is to look beyond weight and mm. to also be guided by how you feel and how you yeah. feel about yourself. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that? Because I think that's a really important message for people to know as well. Well, I think the body positive movement and really we can thank African-American, particularly African-American women, for really shifting the dial mm. on this stuff enormously. Um, uh, it's that thing about being as healthy and as happy as you can be at whatever weight you are because, uh, you know, I think um, – getting fat or preventing people from getting fat versus reversing that. They're two different kind of things. So, um, you know, it's holding that space, which is quite complicated because, Mm. you know, as I said to you, I can't stand having one more person tell me what I have to eat. I've done, I cannot tell you how many times I've tried, Mm. Uh, but by the same token, hello, pre-diabetes, like really quite serious pre-diabetes. So there's a thing of going, your body doesn't lie and your body isn't trying to rip you off or make money out of you or, um, you know, tell you that you're not lovable unless you're thin. Your body doesn't have any of those agendas. It's purely innocent and it's the thing, your body is the thing that has your best interests at heart. Mm. So it's that thing of going, okay, just I've got to find ways to reconcile those two things, you know, because there are so many voices in my head and I assume in everyone else's head too. And many of them are not kind. Um, but, you know, you, you, I've got to be realistic. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to get 
diabetes. Um, I don't want it to sort of tip over into the next um, stage. So I have to find a way to honour both of those things. The thing is that we get fixated and and very judgy about weight mm. as a single element. And as you say, at a population level, we want to try and keep people healthy and weight is part of that. So what do you think the solutions are as you come out of this process? What do you think the solutions are for the state of the country? Because you you, you met the health minister, you've mm. seen amazing community organisations, you've had to have me banging on around you for, you know, three months. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? I think, well... Now that I'm a health expert, mm. clearly after a few <laughs> weeks of Magda Schubains. I, I told you, I am an honorary doctor. I actually am. You are just a normal doctor. Mm. So Oh, there you go. Yes. Um, <laughs> but um the sense I get is that those community initiatives and that sort of education, like I thought the stuff that Deakin University was doing with the kids in um, Mansfield, you know, teaching the older kids at the high school to how to how to eat, mm. how to cook, how to prepare food. Um, I mean, that's the other thing. You t- you know, your background, Italian, right? And who was I? T- like I was talking to a friend and she was saying, you know, um, all the old Italian and Greeks, they, they, they end up going into nursing homes later because they're always physically moving. They've got their garden plots. They're doing all that stuff. They're eating the Mediterranean diet. And really we just kind of have to introduce that to the whole country. Mm. You know, and it's such a charming, lovely way, la dolce vita, you know, to 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 live. You know, I mean, I love going to the community gardens in um, St Kilda. That's that's part of it. Um, but clearly, the other thing is, you know, as they say, knowledge is power, information mm. is power, and if you if you're unable to see at a quick glance whether or not a product in a um, supermarket is healthy for you and your children, there's a problem. Mm. Because we know that people are time poor um, and we know that people are eating these sorts of foods. So it does seem to be um, me, not just a no-brainer, but really galling that the food industry is allowed to get away with um, making it really difficult for people, to say the least. Mm. I'm not going to say dishonest because I don't know what the litigation situation is. But I am going to say um, obfuscating um, and also the amount of uh, sugar that's in foods Mm. too. I think, you know, that's an obvious thing that can be changed. But I think those um, community initiatives, uh, so including things like just to go on to the mental health stuff, like, um, you know, people having resilience training, understanding what trauma is, understanding Mm. mental health, having those sorts of conversations, Um, you know, people moving more, all those kind of things. And and there's a real joy too in when when you do things with other people in a community Mm. sort of setting. So it it left me ultimately feeling very hopeful. What do you hope you see in 23 for the health of, of Australians? You know, do you have any things you'd love to see Australia do or even the government do? Or I would love to see mandatory labelling. I would really yeah. love to see just a, a system developed that is clear and effective, Yeah, you know, simple and effective. And I, I really, really hope that the food industry actually gets on board with this and um, – supports it because you know we don't we don't need to be warring parties in this we're mm. all it's in no one's best interest if everyone's getting fatter sicker you know the strain on the on the health system is terrible for everyone mm. 
we really have to start looking collectively and globally about all the sort of health things, I, I, I think, and being more intelligent about solutions, um, finding ways to work with one another. I mean, if you need someone to uh, be no, your sidekick no, as you tour the, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. the world looking for solutions, <laughs> um, I don't know anyone. No, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I think, um, you know, that I'd love for you to be. You're my, you're my work husband. Oh, bless. Heard him first. Sandra. Sandra and Max. Sandra and Max. Sandra and Mazda. Yeah. <laughs> well, what a team. This is, it's oh, been Sandra and Mazda. <laughs> Sandra and Mazda hour. I hope people pick up on the stuff from this and, and um, I hope there's more things like the Deakin University, all that stuff. Yeah, and power the to the people. My coffee's wearing off now. Power to the people, all the people doing amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I wasn't talking about you. No, not no, you. Don't, no, don't. I don't, no, I don't, I don't no. want. I neither want nor need you to talk <laughs> about me, Sandro, quite frankly. But, uh, oh, damn. Thanks, Mazda. You are. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you are. <laughs> That's National Treasure and my official work wife, Magda Shabansky. On behalf of all of Australia, thank you, Magda, for so generously sharing your learnings with us with such honesty and vulnerability. Find out more about Magda's discovery into what health looks like in Australia by watching Magda's big national health check on ABC iView. And if you want to get a better understanding of some of those barriers to health that Magda and I talked about, Make sure you listen to the other episodes in this season of In Good Health, all available now, wherever you get your podcasts. And a big thank you for joining us on this final episode as we wrap up season four. I hope you've learned that while it sometimes feels a little overwhelming to live healthy, you have a bit more of an idea of how to navigate the maze of hidden barriers together. In Good Health is a Vic Health podcast produced by Deadset Studios and hosted by me, Dr. Sandro DeMeo.